0: Last week we looked at, uh, we we studied the the subject of redemption, and we looked at redemption about the full and abundant redemption that is found in Jesus Christ, and uh, we even gave a uh, a definition, we said to be redeemed is to be forgiven, cleansed, holy, justified, free, adopted, and reconciled to God. What a great what a great truth that's what everything we look at right ephesians one seven I shared this with you last week says this in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. in Christ we have redemption, we are redeemed, we are forgiven, we are reconciled to God, we have been justified, we have been cleansed. We have been adopted, completely, completely reconciled unto God. Colossians one 13 through 13-14 also stated, For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. It's my hope that after this message series is completed, that redemption would not be some kind of intimidating theological word, number one. Number two, that you would understand the broad scope of God's redemption. It is much more than just eliminating a transaction from a ledger, but it involves so much of the fullness and the depths of God's forgiveness. Forgiveness of sin is part of redemption, but it's much broader in scope. And uh, for redemption to be full and free involves the concept of a buyback, of a ransom. That's what the concept of redemption involves. I shared with you last week that the word defined means the release effected by a payment. And that's where the whole concept of ransom comes into play, right? It's a buyback. You're repurchasing something that had previously been forfeited and because there is a buyback it's implicit in it that there is a cost right there is a cost to redemption i think the best way this is reflected is in first corinthians 5 21 now if you've been in this church anytime it's this is probably the singular most quoted verse that i go to in the bible many times i don't get tired of it 1 Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Therein is an accounting term. There's a debit and there's a credit that's being made. Our sin is being debited to Christ. It's being put upon Christ. His righteousness, what we do not earn, is being credited to our account. And so consequently, bear with me one second. So consequently, there is this buyback, there is this exchange, there is this winning something back. This is critical for you to be able to understand What needs to be purchased back? Well, I'll tell you, if you look at Paul's epistle to Romans, if you go to Romans chapter 3, Paul lays out in more detail the necessity for redemption. We are told in Romans 3.23, I'm sure many of you know this already, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. In Romans chapter 3, verses 9, 10, and 11, Paul states, There are none righteous. No, not one. All have sinned. All have fallen away. All have become useful because of the curse, because of the Adamic sin, or what we like to call the original sin, which was penetrated through the human race to every single person born of Adam. Consequently, All people are in danger of judgment, danger of eternal death. And so God created mankind for his glory. He created mankind. And so what needs to be purchased back, what needs to be taken back, is mankind. That's what needs to be redeemed. That's what needs to be repurchased. All have sin, all are in need of Christ. Romans 3, 24 and 25 speaks of being justified as a gift by His grace. How? Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. And we, we've talked about that word propitiation. simply means to satisfy the justice, to satisfy the wrath of God. Christ Jesus provided propitiation. Why? Because the sin of all who would believe in Christ was placed on him. The penalty for that sin was placed on him. And by paying that penalty, he satisfied the justice of God. Sin did not go unpunished. On the contrary, sin was dealt with. Sin was punished on the cross through Christ. When you think about that to your own individual situation, whatever the litany of your sins were, if you are in Christ, if you are born again, they were paid, justice was met out against those sins because of the blood of Christ. And the believer entrusts himself fully and wholly to that atonement made on the cross of Christ. That's the only thing we can hope in. Right, So we, we entrust ourselves completely and fully to Christ and our sins have been done away with. We have found redemption. Why does the unbeliever go to hell? Why does the unbeliever not have atonement? And the answer is simple. Their sins were never atoned. So the very thing that they were guilty of remains. Remember Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus in John chapter 3? Remember, he tells Nicodemus, John 3 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Everybody knows that. You go to a football game, there's John 3.16. Everybody knows John three sixteen. But not too many people pay attention to John 3, 17 and 18. For he who believes is not condemned. He who believes is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. They're condemned before the cross. They're condemned after the cross Because there is no atonement for their sin. It was not paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And consequently, their sin will be before God and justice will be dealt. And there's no atonement. That's the necessity for the gospel. It is the necessity for the proclamation. It is the necessity for those of us that share the gospel with people who are lost, with lost family members, with lost friends, with lost neighbors. The necessity, the urgency to proclaim that message is to give them a remedy for their sin, and that remedy is found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So herein is the buyback the exchange that needed to take place in order to have a full and free redemption in Christ. Christ was sinless, the sinless lamb of God, and only Christ could be in a position to pay for that sin. So Christ was offered to purchase, to redeem on the behalf of those who love the Lord, the saints. Now God, being the judge, offered His only Son, poured out upon Him the punishment for the sin of all who would place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God judged sin through His Son. And He imparts Christ's righteousness to all who put their faith and trust in Christ, the forgiven, this satisfies the justice of God, enabling God to be just. He's just now. Sin has not gone unpunished. And to be the justifier of those who have faith in Christ Jesus. This is awe-inspiring, miraculous stuff. Because I don't know if you do, but every time I read this through the Scripture, I am blown away at just how undeserving I am. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve any of this. Romans 5.10 says this regarding, For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved from His life. That reconciliation took place while we were enemies of God. And that word reconcile has its origin in a financial um, mode. It's about exchanging currencies and coins is really what it is. So here we see this buyback. We're reconciled to God. We were enemies of God, and we were reconciled to God. And one important note that I want to share, this was done for us at the appointed time. It was completed for us at the appointed time, set forth by God the Father. However, since then, this redemption is offered freely to all who call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. But there was and is a cost involved. 1 Peter one eighteen and 19 says this, knowing that you were not redeemed with, with per, perishable things like silver or gold. But it goes on to say, but you were redeemed with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless the blood of Christ there was a price and I'll tell you there is you know you talk about God's forgiveness and we like to say oh the the ever loving forgiveness of God and God's love is you know has no limits it has no bounds and all of that is true and I don't minimize any of it but The immense love of God, the all-great loving of God, is not the same as God's tolerance of all things. The thought today is that while God loves, He tolerates everything. No, He does not. That God would have His people come and bow in repentance to Christ and He's imparted. The Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit that sanctifies us, that conforms us into the image of Christ, that gives us a hunger and a desire for godly things. This is what God has done for us. Last week, I believe I quoted John MacArthur who stated, Saving faith or redemption is an exchange of all we are for all Christ is. I love that hymn, the last hymn we sang, right, Before the Throne of God. That last chorus, it said, My soul is purchased by His blood. My life is hidden in Christ. Nothing could be more true for the believer than that. My soul was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And there was an exchange, and there was a price that was paid. And the price that was paid was was the anguish, and the price that was paid was the sacrifice, and the atoning death of Christ upon the cross. Now, I say this for one reason. Listen, we could never be a people that can become so stale and so cold when we talk about... Salvation offered in Christ, it cannot just be random theological words we throw out. This has to impact us. What does it mean to be a believer? What does it mean to you that Christ purchased your soul with his blood, with his death upon that cross? What does it mean? How do we become indifferent to these things? These are valuable truths that are at the heart of Christianity, at biblical, historical Christianity. And we should never run away from it. We should never run away from the atonement, the price that was paid on the cross. But we should never, ever, ever, ever grow indifferent to it either. Stale theological facts don't save. Many people have a knowledge of God. They may have a knowledge of Scripture, but if they don't know God and they've not come to that place where they have dealt with Christ, where they have been made aware of their sins, where they have repented before a holy God, then all those words, all that memorization, all that reading just judges them and gives them light, light that will be used against them on that great day. That's horrifying. So, I want to show you two parables we're going to take a look at today that are a good illustration of redemption and this buyback, this ransom that is paid. And so, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to be looking at two parables. The first parable is the parable of the hidden treasure, found in Matthew 13, verse 44. And the second parable is the pearl of great price, found in Matthew 13, verses 45 and 46. Now, I want to give you the context. I want to give you the background to this. In Matthew 13, Jesus was preaching and teaching the multitudes regarding the kingdom of heaven. And he starts speaking in parables. And you should note, by the way, that Matthew's gospel is the only gospel that refers to the kingdom of heaven. Matthew is Levi, the tax collector. I I, I want that to sit on you for a moment. The tax collector got saved. Now, just so you have the right context here, a tax gatherer or a tax collector was a Jew who collected taxes for the Roman government, but they worked on commission. And the commission was, well, if the tax rate was 20%, the Romans would tell them, look, anything after 20%, you can keep, right? Right? So what is the tendency of most people's hearts? They're evil, right? So they're going to charge 30%, 40%. And if the people did not pay, they had the authority of the Roman government to go in and seize them for failing to pay their taxes, much like the IRS. And so to a Jew in Israel in first century Palestine... A tax gatherer was considered more contemptible than a Gentile, more contemptible than a Samaritan, more contemptible than a prostitute. I want you to get this. This is like the low of the low. When they don't want to hang out with you because you can't measure up to a prostitute, you got a problem. These people were despised, they were hated within Israel. Because they were working for the occupier. They were the ones who were oppressing them. So Matthew gets saved, Levi, the tax gatherer. Now, when he got saved, he got saved. His life was transformed. And he pens this first gospel. Now, Matthew's gospel is written very specifically for the Jewish audience. In the Gospel of Matthew, you see more references to the Old Testament, more references to Old Testament Scripture. But as one of the things that Matthew would do is he would not flippantly use the name of God. So where some of the other Gospels would say, you know, the kingdom of God is at hand, he uses the term the kingdom of heaven not to be offensive. And in Matthew 13, we see Jesus teaching the crowds and the disciples and he launches into a series of parables. Now, the word parable, just the definition is very clear. It's a placing besides. It's a comparison. Whenever you've heard Todd and I preach or Todd and I teach, you hear us use a term. We do a contrast and a compare, right? Always look, you hear us say it all the time. Always look for contrast and compare in the scripture. Well, that's what a, a, a parable is designed to do. It's a comparison. It brings out a story That illustrates a specific point that wants to be made. In Matthew 13, Jesus preaches the parable of the sower, the parable of the wheat and tares, the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the leaven, and shares their meaning with the disciple. But in this mix are two parables, the two that we're going to look at today, the parable of the buried treasure and the parable of the pearl of great price. So read with me in Matthew 13, verse 44, as we look at the parable of the hidden treasure. The Lord says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid, and from joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. Boy, that's a quick parable. It's a quick quick parable, right? He says the kingdom of heaven's like a treasure hidden in the field. Here we have somebody that's doing some kind of work in a field. Maybe they're plowing, maybe they're doing something, and they what's, you know, they stumble on something, they hit something, and they look around, and boy, it's a treasure. And it must have had a lot of worth in it. He must open that box and go, Oh boy, look what I found. So his immediate action is from joy. He goes and he sells all that he has to buy that field. Why? Because whatever was contained in that treasure was of immeasurable worth. All that he had, this is exponentially greater than anything he ever possessed. So he goes and he sells it. He's so overjoyed with the immense value at his discovery, and I want you to note this, that it is worth all that he had. All that he had. Not some. He didn't give 10%. Not 20%. It was worth all that he had. The second parable that follows right after this is the pearl of great price. Read with me in Matthew 13, verses 45 and 46. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and he sold all that he had and he bought it. Now we have a different situation here. In the first parable, we had a random person, an average person, who is probably doing an average mundane task and stumbles upon a very... Treasure, But here in the pearl of great price, we have a man who is a merchant, probably a wholesaler, someone that looks for rare gems or rare pearls. And in this situation, he's very specific. He's searching. He's looking for that one great pearl. And once again, we see in this parable that this wholesaler finds it, and it's a rare pearl, and it is of great, great, great value. So to obtain it, he sells everything he has. Now, if he was a wholesaler, probably had a, a pretty good inventory, I would say. Probably had a really good inventory. So whatever inventory of other pearls and whatever else he may have been in business for, he recognizes that this pearl is so unique, it's so valuable. Again, it's not worth everything I have. It's worth so much more. So I'm going to sell it to obtain it. Now, there are similarities in these two parables, but they teach the same lesson. And the lesson is this. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is of inestimable value. You can't estimate it. There isn't a number that you could put on the worth. Both parables involve a man who sold all that he possessed for the kingdom of God. And in these parables, we see an example of abandoning everything that they have for the precious treasure of Jesus Christ And the salvation that is only offered in Him. There's a lot of things we talk about. We talk about dying to self, we talk about abandoning everything for Christ. But this is the point that Christ is making perfectly clear the kingdom of heaven, those kingdom citizens, are like those who abandon everything. For Christ. Now let me share something with you. One thing it is not saying, and it's not saying that we can purchase uh, salvation with money. We cannot purchase it with our best religious efforts. We cannot purchase it through good works. That is not what it is teaching here. It is teaching that when we find Christ, when a believer finds Christ, everything else is of no worth to the worth of knowing Jesus Christ. Salvation is fully and freely an act of God whereby the Spirit of God draws the sinner with mercy and fully aware of their offense of sin to a holy God, they entrust themselves to Christ fully. And they entrust themselves to the finished work of atonement on the cross. Let me tell you something. That is salvation. That's not raising a hand. It's not walking an aisle. It doesn't depend on how many years you were a member of whatever church. Every single person has to come to the place where they abandon everything for Christ. Lord, I trust in no other Means, Other than grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And you wouldn't think so. But that's a grounding I think we need to hear constantly. Because I think there's many times inside of us where we could fall prey to I did something, I recognized something. Yeah, it is through grace alone or faith alone. But unless we come to the place where we abandon all hope other than Christ, that's what brings us to Christ. When we talk about this ransom, we talk about this exchange, we see it being portrayed right here. God, in effect, exchanges the sin of the person now atoned for through the blood of Jesus Christ for the righteousness of Christ. This is even more insane, at least from a human perspective. This is redemption. This is At the heart of the gospel. Turn with me in Hebrews chapter 9. Just turn real quick to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 15. The writer speaking of redemption says this. And for this reason speaking of Christ. He is the mediator of the new covenant. In order that since a death has taken place. Okay so we know a death has taken place he tells us why a death has taken place. Why did a death take place? For redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. There's the exchange. There's the ransom. There's the buyback. A death took place. Why did a death took place? for the redemption of those that have been called, that they would receive eternal life. This is what was done on our behalf. For all who are in Christ Jesus, this is what is done on our behalf. And the treasure and the pearl represent in the parable, it represents Jesus Christ and the salvation that is offered fully and freely. And while they cannot pay for salvation by selling all the worldly goods... Once we found that prize. No, once we found the prize, we are willing to give up everything to possess it. But what is attained in the exchange is so much more valuable. It is comparable to trading an ounce of trash for tons of diamonds. That's the exchange. It's incomparable. It can't be compared with. God took our righteousness. I, I love that song by the Gaithers, uh, Something Beautiful, where the, the song says, all I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful of my life. Think about that for a moment. It's the equivalent of an ounce of trash for tons of diamonds. This is the ransom. This is the buyback of redemption. In both parables, the treasures are hidden. You notice that? In both parables, they're hidden, indicating that spiritual truth is missed by people who approach it intellectually. That they had to have the eyes of the Spirit. The eyes of the Spirit had to be opened there. The mysteries of the kingdom are hidden from some of those who are unable to hear and see or comprehend these truths. And the disobedient, they reap the natural consequences of their sin. That's a cause and effect. That's all it is. The wages of sin is what? Death. It's spiritual death. It's cause and effect. Here, you want to sit? Here it is. Those whose eyes are opened by the Spirit. To discern spiritual truth. They, like the men in the parable, understand the great value while you're still in Matthew, just go over to First Corinthians chapter two, verse fourteen, speaking of the natural man, Paul writes, but a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. Because they are spiritually appraised. And that word appraised means that they're judged up and down. It's the process of careful study. The natural man does not accept the things. How do you know someone's saved if someone's not saved? Who accepts the things of the Spirit and who doesn't? The natural man cannot accept the things of the Spirit. Whether logically they get it, there's always going to be a missing of the mark somewhere along the line. Notice the merchant in the parable of the pearl of great price. Once he found that pearl, guess what he did? He stopped searching. He sold all that he had. He acquired it. And when he acquired it, He was joyful. He had the very thing that he was looking. You know, you look at the two parables. One, he stumbles on. It's like many people who stumble upon the gospel. Right? They weren't looking for the gospel. Think of the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Was he singing Amazing Grace? No. He had murder in his heart. He had persecution in his heart. God found him. God saved him on the road. He wasn't looking for Jesus. He wasn't saying, how do I become a Christian? He wasn't contemplating the weighty things. God literally knocked him off his horse. But yet there are those who have the word and go looking. That's the one in the pearl and the great price. They were looking. They were examining the scriptures. They were looking. They were searching for that that great pearl, that great value. They were searching for Messiah. There was a hunger placed by God inside their souls. And they went out looking. And when they found the gospel, when they found Christ, they surrendered. I often think, which one of the two was I? I was raised in a Christian home had the gospel from the time I came out of the womb, dedicated in the church. Grandfather who was a pastor, father who was a pastor, sang in the choir, did the youth group, did the whole number. Which one was I? Was I the guy who was just not looking and just stumbled upon it? Or was I the one who was searching and God, through the Spirit of God, drawing me in like it says in John chapter 6? opening my eyes to the greater truth than falling. I will tell you this. I'm not sure which one I was. But I will tell you this, that when the Word of God was revealed to me, I did not esteem its value. I was around the Word of God. I knew the Word of God. I bought into Scripture memorization. I bought into all those other different things. But I did not esteem Christ. And the evidence of that, the proof of that, was indeed my life. How I live reflected what I believed. And because of that, God had to drag me through the muck and mire. And God had to reveal to me my heart. And when he revealed my heart, so overwhelming was the sin that I did what any blue-blooded son of a Christian did. I ran away. Until God said, enough. And there in desperation, realizing my sin, I cried to God and said, is there any hope for me? God save me lest I die. And it was in repentance that I found Christ. A lot of people claim they find Christ, you know, somebody, you know, they went to a meeting and some guy preached an inspirational message and you know, they went forward and and and, and they they were baptized and they were a member of a church and they listen, all that stuff's great. All that stuff doesn't save. Jesus said, unless ye repent of your sin, ye shall all die in your sins. That's why here when we preach the gospel, we call men and women to repentance. Repent. Repent. What did Jesus, John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, 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 repent. It was in repentance that I found Christ. Listen, Jesus Christ fulfills our greatest needs. He satisfies our longings. He makes us whole and clean before God, calms and quiets our hearts, and gives us hope for the future. This great price, of course, when we talk about the pearl of great price, this great price was the price that Christ paid for all who put their faith and trust In Christ Jesus. So what does this mean to us? Because of the redemption that is found in Jesus Christ. The least of us can find new life. In Christ. Because Christ paid for our redemption. That ransom was done. That exchange was completed. What was Jesus' last words on the cross? It is finished. The price has been paid, the debt is settled. It's done. And we are never to trifle with that, we are never to make that just a point of stale theology or, or stale argument. That's my problem, you know. I love apologetics. I really do. But apologetics are emerging now as a man-made process to try and persuade someone to come to Christ. And so if you study apologetics, there's all these you know, different tex- techniques. There's evidentiary apologetics, you know. Oh, do you know that they found in Israel this, that, and the other thing? And oh, if you look at the word of God, it's been proven like that. There's presuppositional apologetics, right? Which is, oh, well, we're, we're, we're starting at a delta here that, that there is a God. So if you tell me there isn't a God, I'm not gonna, um, you know there's a God by the virtue of the fact that you tell me there's no God, you know that there's a God, right? And so we have a lot of good people, that follow various forms of apologetics. And we should, by the way, study to show thyselves approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightfully handling the word of God. That is given. But the greatest message is this. What Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It doesn't contain it. It doesn't need to be explained. When the gospel is proclaimed, the very power of God goes forth. And we must always proclaim that gospel. And we must always proclaim the price that Christ paid. And we must always proclaim his resurrection over death. And how he defeated death and sin. And if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. My goodness, what glorious hope there is for anyone. Whether you are that prostitute or whether you're that multimillionaire millionaire or billionaire. There is a hope and a surety that is found only in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we waver from the gospel, we should expect no one to come and be saved. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. uh, Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And what was the curse? The curse was death, physical and eternal. The writer of Hebrews says this, but we do see him who is made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Christ tasted that death. Christ endured. Listen, the streets of heaven, this is is great, the streets of heaven will be filled by former captives who through no merit of their own find themselves redeemed, forgiven, and free. Slaves to sin. Slaves who were once to sin have become saints. Let me tell you something. I'm going to be walking down the street of heaven with some of those guys. Slave of sin. Yeah, I was a slave of sin, but Christ redeemed me from the curse. We were slaves to sin. That's the emphasis. We were slaves to sin. We were slaves to sin. I'm telling you again, life-changing chapter. Todd, what is it? Romans chapter 6. Life-changing. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but Christ made you alive together with Him. And I often wonder, how can these things be? How can a wretch like me, be made sanctified, made right before God. Reconciled, adopted into the family of God. It is only through the redemption that is offered in Jesus Christ. So church, what I wanted to do with this is I wanted to bring out, I wanted you to see the beauty of redemption. Redemption. Do you see the majesty? Do you see the worth of Jesus? Have you found the pearl of great price? Have you found the buried treasure? And have you exchanged all of your trash for a ton of diamonds that are only found in Christ? Listen, I I, I said this earlier. Don't confuse the all-forgiving grace and mercy of God with God's tolerance of all sin. It's probably one of the biggest things that's going on today. You're going to heaven and hell. Oh, you break all the commandments. You're a sinner? Yeah, I'm a sinner. Why why should God send you to heaven? Because God forgives. He does forgive those who come with faith and repentance. Romans 3.25 says, He passed over sins, previously forgiven. But I want to give this. The writer of Hebrews says this. In Hebrews 2.3, you don't have to turn there. He asks this question, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And you say, what's this got to do with the pearl of great price and the buried treasure? Simply this, that word neglect there in the Greek, properly translated means without concern. Like I, you pay it no mind; it's without concern, it's unaffected. Viewing something as being without significance. How many people look at Christ that way? I'm not. I'm not too concerned by that. Oh, if God, well, Jesus forgave me. Jesus forgave me. In verse one of Hebrews, that same portion in Hebrews, he says, "Listen." Let us guard ourselves lest we drift away. He uses a nautical term. And the term is of a boat that is not moored to the dock. So if you pull your boat up to the dock, but you don't moor it to the dock, what happens? The tide comes in and eventually you start to push that boat out, push that boat out. And the writer of Hebrews is telling the church there, hey, pay attention lest you drift away in unbelief. Listen, my heart's desire is that there would be not one person here that would drift away in unbelief. That there would not be one person here that neglects that pearl of great price, that neglects the redemption that has been provided for in Christ fully and freely. My admonition and my encouragement is exchange everything you are for all that Christ is. Isaiah 55 the six says this seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him when he is near. Listen, is the Holy Spirit calling you today to come to Christ? Is the Spirit of God pounding on your heart to come to Christ? then come and be saved. Why? Why would anyone delay? Why would you delay? Do not neglect so great a salvation. Do not drift away from what you have heard. Repent today and come and get saved. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, we bless you and praise you and thank you for all of your many blessings. And Father, as we, as we come today, may we all consider Lord Christ lest we drift away. May we be, Lord, like that man who found that buried treasure. May we be like that merchant both of whom sold all that they have to acquire that great value. May that be said of us, Lord. And if there be any here who know not the Savior, Father, Father, may they know that only in Christ there is forgiveness of sin, that Christ freely, fully paid the price for sin And in there is only redemption in him, Lord God, that they would repent of their sins and turn and know that there is one who forgives their sin. Father, we ask you for this. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise God.